0: Amen. What a a full morning of worship we have, haven't we? And uh, we do that because our Savior has been raised from the dead, and He is alive. I have a question to start off our morning. Have you ever been so overwhelmed with terror that you fell as though dead? Ever experienced something like that? I did when I was a tween. That's what they call that age group of 9 to 12 year olds. They didn't call it that when I was that age. But I've learned now that I have tweens. Uh, That's what they're called. But I was 11, 10, 11, 12, and uh, my mother overheard a conversation that I was having with a friend of mine in my bedroom that I thought she or no one else would know about. I was saying things that I shouldn't be saying and talking in a way that I shouldn't be talking. And then my mother stormed into the room. And no joke, it was like instant, it was like lightning. I froze, it went black, and I fell over. (laughs) I literally passed out. I woke up, and I was in my bed, and for a moment there I thought, whew was just a dream, and then I saw my mother, (laughs) and I can tell you I wish I had died. I knew I was under the wrath of my mother. Well, in this passage, one of Jesus' disciples, one of his close friends, is given a vision of the risen Jesus, and our passage we're going to see is that he freezes. He falls over like a dead man. The experience is magnificent. He he sees Jesus in all his splendor and his might and his majesty. and And the vision is so stupendous. John is overwhelmed by the moment. He doesn't fall backwards, but he falls flat on his face. He falls like a dead man. John, like the prophet Isaiah, knew that he was in the presence of divine holiness. He was in the heavenly throne room, and like Isaiah, who said, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. So John realized his uncleanliness before his glorious king. While prostrate before Jesus, passed out, he feels the hand of comfort rest upon him. And he hears these words, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. Behold, I am alive forevermore. This morning, I want us to understand why these are words of good news for us who have trusted Christ, and why if you're here today and you do not know Christ, if you have not submitted to His Lordship over your life, if you have not bowed the knee and confessed Him as your Lord and Savior, Why you should. See, this vision that we're going to see this morning from the book of Revelation, it's not just recorded for John's sake. Jesus tells John, I want you to write down what you see and send it to the churches. And what John sees is what every eye will see on that day in which he comes again. And the truth is that Jesus was dead. He was dead, but now is alive. And this truth, brothers and sisters, I pray will alleviate our fears as we anxiously await his return. Do you have fears? Do you come this morning with a heavy heart, the pit in your stomach? Or maybe you've been going along with it so long you just don't know any other way of living? anxiety and fear in your life are there things in your life that that keep you up at night that that cause you to fret maybe you have health concerns and you've gone to every doctor you possibly can and they cannot give you an answer or they give you an answer and that just doesn't seem to be the answer solve one thing only to open up another thing or maybe this morning you have needs in your family, needs in your own life, and you don't know where those needs are going to be met. Maybe you're worried about rent, and you've, you've gotten that eviction notice. Maybe you're worried about how, how am I going to not only provide food for myself, but also for my family. Maybe you are among those who are gripped by the fear of rejection and failure, and you live in such a way that you are absolutely under control of what other people think of you you find your identity and place of acceptance based on things you do who's accepted you and destroys you when you do not receive that acceptance others of you may fear for your safety you think of the things going on in the world or you think about the world and what your children or grandchildren are entering into and you have what sociologists called mean world syndrome, meaning everybody's out to get me. Or maybe you just have the ultimate fear, the fear of death. Fear of death and what is going to happen to me on that day when I breathe my last. All this is what Jesus tells us not to fear. Fear because he's risen. So this morning, I I want us to behold the risen Savior. We have sung of his glorious might and his his awesome power in the resurrection. And now as we turn to his word in the book of Revelation, that's the last book of the Bible, I want us to behold the risen Savior, understanding who he is and what he has done so that we will not fear death, nor the things that lead up to it, but rather we might be strengthened in order that we may faithfully endure this life until He returns. And so, to this end, I want to present a sevenfold portrait of the risen Christ from this glorious vision written down for us in Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 18. If you're visiting with us and you don't have a Bible, I think in, one of the, in, in many of the seats in the pouch in front of you, there should be a Bible there. And Revelation is one of the easiest books to find. You just have to turn to the very back and and you'll be there. Book of Revelation, uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, and I invite you to follow along with me as I begin reading. Listen to the word of the Lord. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who was, or who is, and who was, and who is to come. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. This is the vision of our Savior, one who was dead, but is now alive. And in this portrait, the first element that I want to bring to our attention, that we may get a glimpse, may get a taste of what John experienced, is that Jesus is, first of all, the faithful witness. Jesus is the faithful witness. John's description of the risen Savior begins in verse 5 by acknowledging this. He he says Jesus is uh, the faithful witness from whom grace and peace come from. That is, He is the perfect manifestation of God's salvation to the world. As the faithful witness, He has come to bring life, eternal life, to all who would believe in Him. And His faithfulness is ultimately demonstrated and ultimately seen in that He was an obedient Son. He was the obedient Son who obeyed the Heavenly Father perfectly, even unto death. But not just any death. He was the obedient Son even to death on a cross. See, this faithful witness, this One who did not waver from the plan who endured to the end. He subjected himself to the curse of the world. He didn't insist on his own divine rights, but rather emptied himself by becoming a servant. And though he came to serve, he was not received by this world. He was rejected. He was falsely tried and sentenced to death as a common criminal. Furthermore, as the faithful witness, Christ was cut off from the Father's love, rejected and despised. As the prophet reminds us in Isaiah chapter 53, it pleased the Father to crush Him. And yet He was faithful to go to the cross. And so Jesus tells us, fear not. Fear not even death because I am the one who has walked faithfully through death. I have stared death in its fullest sense. I have drunk the cup of death to its last drop. And I stand before you alive. And if you follow me, he says, I am the trailblazer by which you now follow my path. And you will stand with me on the other side. So he's not one who's saying, fear not, it'll be okay. But has no idea what you are going through or what you will go through. No, he is the one who has gone through death and has brought life on the other side. And he calls those who would follow him to remain faithful as he was. He's the faithful witness. And the book of, uh, the writer of Hebrews calls us to consider. Consider the one who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. And as we consider him, so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted as we run the race set before us. And so, brothers and sisters, as you run the race, Let us lay aside every weight, every sin, every hindrance that clings so closely, and let us run the race with endurance, the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, who despised the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the Father at the throne of God. He is the faithful one who calls us to run the race that he has run. He's the foundation of our faith. He's the perfecter of our faith because he is the one who is the example of our faith. Not only that, but Jesus is the preeminent ruler. He is the faithful one who's carried out the mission of the Father unto his dying breath, but he is also, John writes in verse 5, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Yes, he was obedient unto death, even death on the cross, but he has now been highly exalted, the Scriptures teach us. Highly exalted and given a name above every name. That at his name, people don't stand. People bow. People kneel. People tremble at his name. And every tongue confesses that he is the Lord. Bearing this title, firstborn, does not communicate in any sense that he is some form of a a created being, that he was in some sense the first created being, or first in any order of any kind. Rather, it communicates that he's, he's first in regard to rank. He's the highest of the kings of the earth. This title of firstborn signals that he is God's chosen one, God's king upon whom the kingdoms of this world are subject to currently. And this has come about by His resurrection from the dead. That's why He's the firstborn of the dead. By His resurrection, He triumphed over the kingdoms of this world. And being Himself at one point subjected to the powers of the world, He was raised up over them. And at His resurrection, His heavenly Father has made Him the highest of all the kings of the earth and has established His heavenly throne, which will never end. So brothers and sisters, yes, there are many presidents, many people in power, many kings and queens and princes and leaders, but they will all bow the knee to this one, who is the firstborn of the dead, who is king of all the kings. He is king of kings and he is lord of lords. But this preeminent one is not only the sovereign ruler, but he is also the loving redeemer, Notice, as John continues to write at the end of verse 5, to him who loves us. Now don't miss that. He loves us. Currently. Because he's risen. He's not dead. We typically think of Christ's love as this thing that happened in the past, and, and rightfully so. He demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. He died for us. But we must not think that it ended at the cross. No, it continues into the present. And John is saying, to him who loves us, loves us. This love was not limited to that moment in time, but is a continual reality for those who have been redeemed, for those who have put their faith in him He's not only one who loved us and now is dead. No, he is the one who is alive and currently loves us. Well, how has he loved us and how does he continue to love us? Well, he tells us, first of all, he freed us from our sins by his blood. He's brought liberty to the captive. He's brought liberty from those who are enslaved to their sins. We have sung about it over and over in the the songs that we sang, in the scriptures that have been read. And on the cross, he became a ransom for many, a ransom to to free those who are in slavery to the power of sin. And if you're here today and you're like, what is sin? The power of sin? I'm not under any power. Well, sin is rebellion against God's heavenly loving rule. And here is what is so deceptive about the power. It promises you freedom, but you're actually a slave to your own lusts. You think you're free. Maybe you're sitting here today, and you're saying, these people, they waste their time every Sunday. And in fact, I'm wasting my time this Sunday. And you may think, I am free to do whatever I want, but I would tell you, friend you are a slave to your lusts. You are a slave to your passions, to the pride of of your eyes, to the the desires of your flesh. But this one has come to free you, to open your eyes, to see yourself in your shackles. And that is the only difference between us and those who have not believed. We see who we truly are we know that He has freed us. Through the shedding of His blood, this freedom has come, and He became what the Scriptures say is a sin offering unto God, which satisfied the judgment to come for our sin. Jesus, by His blood, drank the cup of God's righteous anger so that we may taste and see that the Lord is good. He was cut off from the land of the living so that He may bring us into the land of life. Second, He's loved us by His blood. He has made us a kingdom and priest to God. Do you see that there? Verse 6. Made us a kingdom and priest to His God and Father. What does that mean? He has transferred us from the domain of darkness, from the kingdom of this world, into the kingdom of His beloved Son. It's really just another aspect of the ongoing uh, work and love of Christ in the life of the believer. Yes, he has broken the shackles of our sin that has held our heart captive, but what we also didn't realize is that we were under the prince of the power of the air, that we were under the great deceiver, the one who is called the devil and Satan. The whole world lies under the power of the evil one, and if you are born in this world, you're By default, under that kingdom, but Christ has come and He has loved us by His blood, and He has come in and He has infiltrated that kingdom, and He has bound the strong man so that He may release us and set us free. And He has not just set us free to go our own way, no, He has brought us into a glorious kingdom. And He says, You are like priests. Well, in what way are we like priests? Well, now we bear witness like he did. We are now faithful witnesses, not being ambassadors for the kingdom of darkness, but now we are ambassadors for the kingdom of his beloved son. And so, just right now, you are in the presence of priests. Now, we don't wear funky clothes or, or sashes, but no, Lord, we are, we are ambassadors for our Savior. And we are saying, Come with us follow us as we follow our great high priest jesus who is leading us into the land of the living and who will ultimately give us the freedom from these desires of our sin and our flesh when he comes again and that leads us to the fourth element of this heavenly portrait jesus is the coming king He's the coming king, verses 6 and 7. John announces, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. After Jesus' resurrection, I think Brother Gary is going to be expounding upon this a little bit more for us next Sunday, Jesus ascended, and the scriptures tell us that he was taken up in the clouds. Well, John tells us when he comes again it will be like that, but it will not, brothers and sisters, be a private affair. No, at this time every eye will behold him. The Book of Revelation describes that event in, in, in cataclysmic terms where the sky is rolled up like a scroll, and I, I imagine that, that kind of like the, the the roll-up blinds, and you, you tug it and you let it go. And it's just, just the sky. Well, no, uh uh-oh, something's going on. What is it? Well, every eye will behold him, and there will be mourning. This mourning is a little bit ambiguous. It's used in Zechariah to speak of Israel, when they will behold him whom they pierced, and they'll mourn in repentance and turn to him. It's used also when the thief pierces the side of Jesus. And he says, Surely this is the Son of God. And the writer says, This was done to fulfill what was written. They will look upon him whom they have pierced. And so here, this morning, I think, primarily speaks of what we will experience a morning of, of godly sorrow, which leads to life. We will see him like John has seen him. And we will bow and we will worship and we will see the one whom we rebelled against. But for us who know him, that morning will be turned into gladness. But if you do not know him, that morning will not be turned. That will be the beginning of an eternal mourning for you. so those who know him, this is going to be a day of repentant sorrow. It leads to our resurrection, which the Scripture says that when he returns, and I don't quite understand how all this will work, how we'll be mourning, but at, the, at that same moment that he returns and at a trumpet, at a flicker of light, we will all be transformed. Scripture says that those who are, are already dead at the time that Christ returns, that they'll be raised up first, resurrected. See, we, we worship. Jesus, and we anticipate and look back to his resurrection, anticipating our resurrection. And the the pattern is that those who have died in the Lord will be raised first, but those of us who are alive when he returns will be caught up together with them in the clouds. The way I understand that is that we'll be caught up as we come down as we are part of the triumphant army by which we don't have to do a thing. But he will destroy the kingdoms of this world with the breath of his mouth. We're not just looking to Jesus' return, although we are. But John tells us that he's also the present high priest. While we eagerly await that glorious day, we should not conclude that our Savior is not with us now. John's vision tells us that Jesus stands in the midst of the churches in verses 12-13. through Look at what what he says here. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I... I saw seven golden lampstands. Just just stand there. Later, those golden lampstands are are described as as symbolic for the churches. These seven churches, seven is a holistic number in the book of Revelation and throughout the scriptures, and these seven churches represent all the churches of all time throughout the ages. And so he sees these seven golden lampstands, which represent the church, which represents Oak Park Baptist Church, in every true church that preaches the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 13 he says, And in the midst of the lampstand, in the midst of the churches, I saw one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. This vision reveals what is going on right now. One of the reasons I love the book of Revelation, many people are scared about it. It's only scary if you do not know him. The book of Revelation is, 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 is kind of going back to that, that windowsill. It allows you to lift the veil and kind of see what's really going on. We think what's real is what we see with our eyes, and, and, and certainly it is. We're all really here but we don't see the spiritual dimension that is going on, that, it, that we are spiritual beings. And the book of Revelation lets us know that there is something very spiritual going on, even right now. That Jesus is walking in the midst of us. That He is in the midst of the churches. And in the midst, John sees Him dressed in a, as a glorious high priest making intercession for us. So as the one who has endured to the end, he is amongst us ensuring that we will endure to the end. And he does this through his Holy Spirit who dwells in us. His presence is with us. It's what we declare when we we gather as a body and we, we take the Lord's Supper. We're declaring not only looking forward to his coming, but we are also recognizing that he is in us and we are in him. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is Lord. This is what we're seeing, that Jesus is not just Lord of all the earth, but He's Lord of the church. Many pastors think they're the Lord of the church. Many churches, congregants think they're the Lord of the church. Neither are the Lord of the church. There's only one Lord and one chief shepherd, and His name is Jesus, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Brothers and sisters, what is going on here is what the writer of Hebrews says, is that when we come together, we have come to Mount Zion. That is the heavenly Jerusalem, a heavenly city that is being prepared. That In some mysterious fashion, we are intricately connected with the the festal gathering of the angels worshiping among the saints. Scripture says that we have come to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the media of a new covenant, and to sprinkled blood that speaks better, a better word than the blood of Abel. The reason that we are able to come into his mighty presence is because we have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. What an imagery. I talked to my kids about this. I said, How do you become washed? How do we become cleansed and be acceptable before God? We were talking about it. I said, you know what the Bible says? Get bloody. And they're like, what? I said, yeah, get bloody. Said, Wouldn't that make you dirty? I said, yeah, but Jesus' blood cleanses us of all of our sins. Through faith, we're united to Him. And, and as He died on that cross, so we were with Him and we died with Him. And as he rose again from the grave, so we too will raise on that day. This Jesus who is risen from the dead is not only the faithful witness, the preeminent ruler, the loving redeemer, the coming king, and the present high priest, but he is the holy judge. He's the holy judge. John describes the risen Christ here in verses 14 and 16 in in various ways. He begins by saying that Christ has hair that is white as snow. You know, none of those Jesus pictures ever look like that. You know, they're blonde hair, but it's not. Uh, it's not white hair. I think it would freak people out. He says he has white hair, and it's white as wool, white as snow. And what he's doing here is he sees Jesus and, and this description attributes to Jesus divine holiness. This one who's the holy judge is pure. It's pure as snow, pure as wool. Not only is he pure, but he's also divine. This, this description of one uh, standing with white hair is the same description that Daniel uh, describes when he is, sees a heavenly vision of, 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 of the Lord, the one true God, sitting upon his throne, the Ancient of Days. As he sit upon his throne, he saw him, and he had hair that was white as wool. But John sees this one, and it's Jesus, which tells us that Jesus is the one true God. And he is the Holy One. And as holy, what does that mean? It means that he's totally devoted to his glory, his righteousness, and to his kingdom, and that no unclean thing may enter his presence. John goes on and he says his eyes are described as flames of fire, that is penetrating eyes. Eyes which see the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. They burn right through. There is no hiding from his presence. No one will escape his prying eyes. His his feet he goes on to say, or uh, bring the picture of a purified bronze radiating and glowing from the heat of a furnace. And that 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 speaks to his standing sure on, on holy ground. There is no element a part of him that is not holy. Moses learned that when he came and he was to take off his sandals because he is standing on holy ground. Wherever Jesus tramples, it is holy ground. And when he speaks, he's not some girly man. No, he speaks with the roar of many waters. You ever been to the ocean? heard the waves crashing upon the beach or you've gone to a waterfall and, and, you, and it just drowns out every other sound his voice carries like a waterfall when he speaks people listen and furthermore he, he demonstrates his authority over the churches as, as John says and I saw in his right hand Seven stars, that again alludes to seven churches. He holds the authority of His church in His hand. Fear not, brothers and sisters, He's got us in His hand. Do you believe that? He's got us in His hand. His right hand, his hand of power and authority, the one that directs everything that will come to pass he holds it in his hands. And when he opens his mouth, his words, John says, are like a double-edged sword, which pierces the division of soul and spirits, joint and marrow and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That means when he speaks, hearts are opened. Hearts are exposed. And what John is wanting to tell the churches, what Jesus wants John to tell the churches is that I am in your midst and I am the one who is present and I am the one who knows all things. I am the one who knows who are mine. Fear not. I am with you. And as the holy judge, the over the kings of the earth, everyone who has not bowed their knee to his lordship, Scripture says that two-edged sword will bring them to the ground. That by the breath of His mouth, by the words, the same words by which He said, let there be light, by the same words by which He rose the mountains and and, and, and carved out the valleys, and He he put the birds of the air and the fish and the sea, and He breathed life into man, so He will breathe judgment upon this earth. For all who do not bow to His rule. And finally, John describes them as having a face that shines like the sun. Have you ever tried to stare at the sun? It doesn't work. You'll go blind. It's amazing. I, don't, I feel the warmth of the sun, but if I look at it, I, it blows me back. When you stand before this one who is risen, it will be like standing before the sun. And either you will have already been refined and you will withstand the heat or you will be burned up with the chaff. As this vision continues, you can begin to understand why John fell as though dead, right? Uh Uh-oh, I don't belong here. (laughs) He was undone. Yet Jesus says, fear not. Fear not. Why? Why? this is the last portrait because he is the supreme victor he's the supreme victor this is what he means when he says i am the first and the last and the living one that that means i encompass everything i'm the beginning and the end and i orchestrate everything in between i'm the living one yes i died but behold i am alive and i have the keys of death and hades you know what having the keys means you're the boss, right? You have access. You have authority. The very thing that you fear the most, Jesus says, I have the keys to. I lock it up. I determine who goes in and who goes out. And so on that basis, Jesus was able to say to the thief on that cross, and all those who trust their faith, their, put their trust in him like that thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Now let me just open that up for you just a little bit to hopefully blow your mind a little more. That term paradise was a term that described the place of the saints before the Messiah came, when they died. The realm of the dead was divided into two sections, the place of torment and the place by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you're familiar with the rich man and Lazarus, that, that, that story kind of explains it. Lazarus went to be at Abraham's side where the rich man went to a place of torment. Before Jesus came, those, those, those two realms were closely together. And after he drank the full cup of God's fury, he went to paradise. And he led a host of captives at his resurrection. And now paradise is not down below in Hades. No, it is now in the heavenly throne room up above. And because he has died and lives forevermore and has the keys, he's able to transfer those captives up with him. And so, brothers and sisters, we fear not. Because even if we die, we will be present with him. He has triumphed over the grave. He has conquered death itself. And so that truly, as the psalmist writes, I have walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You understand he's walking through death, right? And so we don't even fear when that day comes, when we take our last breath on this earth, because we know the one who has the keys of death. And that we will just be passing through. And so this, my friends, is why we celebrate Jesus risen from the dead. This is why we worship Him and Him alone. And so I ask you, do you know this Jesus? Better yet, do you worship this Jesus? Do you love this Jesus? And if not, why not? Why not? Yes, this one who is holy and preeminent and the ruler and the judge. But he's also the loving redeemer. The one who laid his hand upon John who thinks he's dead and he says, "Come up with me. Come live with me." Why would you not want to live? Why would you want to continue down the path of death? And and let me tell you, everybody dies. That's like the most empirical evidence that could ever be given. It's a 100% fact. The wages of sin is death. Just hang out at the funeral parlor. But do you want to know the one who escaped death? And do you want to be with him? Then don't leave today without talking to somebody and saying, how can I know this Jesus? We're going to sing one closing song. Those who want to come forward can. After service, I'm going to be out by the double doors in the, in the lobby. Some of our other pastors, I'm going to ask you guys just to linger here up front. So be a pastor here, or I'll be in the back. If, if you want to talk to somebody, we want to talk to you. And we want to tell you how you can be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Let me pray, and we'll be singing one closing song. Father, your wisdom and might, they're unfathomable. Who can search and understand your ways? You're the creator of all things, and you hold all things together by the word of your power, and by that power that raised Christ from the dead, so you are releasing hard hearts from their hardness of stone. You are raising up people to worship you, and you are redeeming us. And Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who doesn't see that they are in slavery, who may think that they are free. Lord, I ask that you would lift the veil, and that they would see their shackles. And in seeing their shackles, they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And for all of us who do know you, Lord, I pray that we would love you even more today, that we would anticipate your coming, and Lord, that we would not fear the days before us now or the days ahead, but we would anticipate the day in which you return, in which our faith will become sight. And we pray these things with eager expectation, and all God's people